Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of July 31st, 2022. Let's talk a bit about where I hope we can take this community. I know a lot of people say I'm a bit crazy for how much I do around the community, but that isn't the goal. If the community is centralized, it can't scale. Datastax has this week off, and when I'm off, the weekly message count in the Slack typically falls quite a bit. Same for if I had another crazy week of four plus episodes recorded like I have for the last, you know, two to three weeks. We need you all to be a bit more active. Some of that is finding each other. Some of that is asking a question in the Slack, but a big part is forming groups around topics. We need people to really start to form groups that regularly share information with each other and that we see that information emerge. We are seeing this somewhat with new meetup groups forming, but it's really crucial to get these going so it isn't only info flowing from a few people. A single question I asked in an episode coming out in a few weeks will probably change something for the standard recommendation for all ThoughtWorks deployments. What could you unlock by asking the right question to the right people? What could you learn way ahead of everyone else What could you also put content out about that gets you well-known out there? So what are our three episodes on tap for this week? On Monday, we have episode 107, Focusing on Outcomes and Building Brave Teams in Data. This is with Gretchen Moran at the National Geographic Society. The National Geographic Society is actually the nonprofit wing of uh, National Geographic. This was a very fun conversation covering a truly wide array of topics from a very unique nonprofit organization that is early on their data mesh journey. There's a lot to learn from Gretchen across her many different roles and strong ability to reflect and think about where we need to head as an industry as well as where specifically uh, the National Geographic Society needs to head with their, their implementation. On Tuesday, it's episode 108, The Slippery Slope of Real-Time and Data Mesh, Mesh Musings 24. I think I finally got the wording on this one right. The real crux is that if you need very low latency to serve real-time operational needs, like the actual transactions, that shouldn't be from a data product that could also be slowed down by a large-scale analytical query. And if you don't allow the large-scale analytical query against a data product, is analytics a first-class concern for that data product? And it's a very slippery slope when your mesh data products don't treat analytics as a first-class concern. On Again, this has created a whole lot of uh, kind of back and forth and debate and things in the community. But I think we need to really think about if we're really doing data mesh, your data products for the data mesh specifically need to have analytics as at least a, if not the first class concern. On Friday, it's episode 109, tying data strategy and architecture to business strategy 
with Anitha Jagadish at ServiceNow. Uh, similar to some of the themes from Liz Henderson's episode last week, this one gets into the how we can tie the data strategy to the business strategy, which is crucial to drive success. Quite a deep and very necessary topic to get your arms around that boils down to your data strategy must be driven by your business strategy. So let's get on to the extended summaries for the interviews coming out this week. Extended summary for episode 107, focusing on outcomes and building brave teams in data, an interview with Gretchen Moran. In this episode, I interviewed Gretchen, the Senior Director of Data Products at the National Geographic Society, or NGS, and they are the nonprofit arm of National Geographic. Gretchen started off by giving her background and some of the ways her history has played into her perspective and current role. A big factor in her interest in data mesh was when she was helping a number of large organizations evolve their data platform and how that helped those organizations deliver better results. But they still often struggled somewhat to derive full value from their data, and data mesh can hopefully unlock that value. For the National Geographic Society relative to data mesh, preparation has been Gretchen's and, and her team's keyword. Rather than trying to move forward with their data mesh implementation as fast as possible, they've spent the last year testing and preparing for implementing their data strategy. And they are in a bit of a unique situation because even though the organization of National Geographic is over 100 years old, really their tech stack is about seven years old and they don't have a cohesive data architecture deployed. This means that they also don't have a lot to unlearn, but have a ton to learn <laughs> and experiment on. NGS is already organized in a product-centric approach, and the technologists really understand their domains. Now, Gretchen and team just need to get them bought in that they should treat their data like they do their applications, like a product, as they move forward with their data mesh implementation. Easier said than done, but the organization in general hasn't been pushing back on these ideas, which has meant good initial collaboration. While embracing sharing data is crucial to NGS's overall organization-wide strategy, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. As Gretchen knows, there will be a lot of heavy lifting. Heavy lifting around change, heavy lifting in going against the status quo. To be successful with a data mesh implementation, the organization is going to have to embrace change and ambiguity, and both are typically painful. Gretchen and team knew to lay the groundwork for something like data mesh, their organization needed a base layer of data literacy. Without an understanding of data, would they even have people to consume data, much less people capable and willing to produce their data like a product? So they started by bringing in some consultants to help start that learning path and to build stuff like a general business glossary. But Gretchen understands that a lot of this stuff has to be homegrown. You can't outsource the understanding and the learning because then people are just kind of doing that, like taking a test type culture <laughs> instead of actually uh, absorbing it and, and bringing it to their um, actual day-to-day -day work. 
So to really reach the hearts and minds of the general organization, Gretchen knew that they needed to show people what value data can bring them. What are their goals and needs and how can data support that? How is something like having high quality data available valuable to data consumers, but more tricky, how is it also valuable to data producers? And part of their data literacy slash upskilling process was showing people what using data could mean for them, not just like a training course in SQL or Tableau or whatever. Just training people how to use a piece of technology in a vacuum hasn't worked well. A success vector for Gretchen has been finding the organizational influencers as well that provide the leverage to drive buy-in across the organization so it doesn't have to be all done by Gretchen and her team. So how are Gretchen and team getting going after their preparation period? They're partnering very closely with an initial pilot team and are going to prove out the value to share more broadly across the organization. This has been an interesting question or approach in data mesh. How many domains and or data products should be involved in your initial proof of value? Uh, I'd say it's probably 60-70% are doing two to three domains and the rest are doing one domain. I don't have a great answer on that. (laughs) Broadly speaking, Gretchen believes, and, and I agreed, any technology effort is still very much a people effort. It is very hard to do something like make data self-evident, so the people need to steer and steward any technology effort to do something like that forward. Then add in the fact that Data Mesh is much more organizational-slash-process-focused, and the people side becomes even more crucial. Gretchen talked about metrics in general and her theory of the bad metrics sin. That is, it is worse to have bad metrics than no metrics at all, and to identify early and then stay away from vanity metrics. She strongly believes that metrics plus outcomes equals value. So without the outcomes attached, metrics don't have value. As Sadie Martin and Katie Bauer mentioned in their episodes, measure what matters and measure what you will act on. And measuring impact in the NGO, the non-governmental organization space, is particularly difficult. Gretchen even used the word persnickety. So really finding your useful metrics and backing them up can be a challenge, but it is crucial. One behavioral change Gretchen is pushing heavily as people are learning more and more about data, asking about people's rationales when making a choice working with data. The outcome is more context for all involved because people use their own context to make choices. So learning why they made those choices can highlight some very interesting points that only that person really knew. Why did they go with that X versus Y? It's crucial to do this to enhance curiosity and learning rather than asking people to prove their reasoning and understanding. So ask with the tone and goal of tell me more. And it's easy and quite common to intimidate people with data, per Gretchen. We need to lower the actual bar to leveraging data, but even more so, we need to lower the perceived bar of how challenging it is to leverage data. Part of doing that is meeting people where they are, showing them how they can leverage their current knowledge and skills while upskilling them to be more effective with data. 
Gretchen is seeing people in NGS going through so many hoops to produce reports and data in very manual ways. So enabling them to produce and consume data automatically and more reliably is something she's really excited to take on. That way, NGS can leverage their knowledge and skills without the manual effort, allowing them to focus on the value-add aspect of working with data, the insights, and how to act on them. User experience, or UX, is really crucial to everything NGS does, according to Gretchen. Their product managers spend a lot of time to really understand the business aspect of what they're doing, not just the software pieces. So they now need to learn how to do the same with data. Product thinking is crucial to getting data mesh right, not just about creating data products. How can we move to sharing actual insights instead of just data? And especially who owns creating and sharing insights on data combined from multiple domains? For Gretchen, it will also be interesting to see what additional insights can be generated when we focus on keeping data clean from the start, not just cleaning it up after the fact by the data consumers. What additional insights might come from people actively monitoring the collection and processing of information? And who will generate a lot of these new insights in in data mesh? Will it be the traditional data consumers who can now spend the time to work with the data instead of actually just have to clean it? Or will more insights actually flow from the data producers as they get their arms around their own data? The answer is probably both, but I think it'll be really interesting to see. Building brave teams, teams that aren't afraid of new challenges or of failure, or especially of ambiguity, will be crucial to getting data mesh right in Gretchen's view. People have to welcome change and understand that while change is painful, there is a point and purpose for it. Give them the understanding of what the change is for, what is the reasoning. Gretchen and team are trying to ensure that they aren't over-architecting the data platform, putting in too much work too early, and locking themselves into choices if there isn't a need. But then it is quite easy to underinvest and not provide what people actually need. So she's really focused on making the platform robust, robust enough, but not too rigid or expensive. And that's a very hard needle to thread, right? It's not very easy to, to do that. It's easier said than done. Many teams are worrying if they are doing data sharing wrong in NGS, according to Gretchen. But can they actually really do it wrong? Yeah, probably. But if they are open to feedback and paying attention, they don't have to get it you know, right the first time to get it right eventually. You can evolve to get to a very good place You know, prior data setups have been so rigid where change has been extremely painful, so that evolution has been tough. Data mesh really needs to solve for lowering the cost and fear of change in data, but it's still early days in figuring out how to do that. Gretchen doesn't think you need to build out a huge team to do data mesh or at least to get moving. Her team's approach is to build uh, a reusable base for generating and managing mesh data products and have a few data architects to keep moving things in the right direction. Then they have the team and the drive to teach developers how to manage data as a product and get them bought in that it's necessary to do so. So some rapid fire insights from Gretchen to wrap up. We have yet to learn how to leverage the knowledge and context of people without data knowledge in general in the data and analytics space. 
this is what data mesh tries to unlock, but we are still figuring it out. We have to figure out how to take the information from people who aren't super, super data savvy and actually put that into uh, non just qualitative, but actual information that can be analyzed. There are good incentives for teams to produce high quality and reliable data, but you really have to work with them closely to explain it. Another one, the concept of Data Lake was to only invest in cleaning and maintaining the data where there was a clear use case, a clear reason to invest that time. But it was cleanup, not proactive cleaning and keeping things clean. And it typically had opaque and or mediocre ownership. That made it much harder to derive the value when someone came to it and said, oh, I would really like this in this uh, way. And you had to go back and really think about what that meant historically and could we actually clean the data and, and prep it in the way they wanted. Another, vendors have yet to really validate data mesh. And that means many folks are still sitting on the sidelines. It will be interesting to see if vendors really can ever validate data mesh given how complex and large in scope data mesh really is. Another, to do data mesh right, many stakeholders need to parse the principles, or at least what the principles are trying to achieve in data mesh, and then crucially adapt them to your culture. Data mesh can't be about cutting and pasting from someone else's implementation. That's a path to failure. Another would be shared ownership of data is very hard. That seems obvious, but even within the domain, there really is a concept of shared ownership between the subject matter experts and those people that are shaping the data to share into those data products externally. There needs to be strong communication and a good relationship between those, those two halves. And the last uh, kind of rapid fire insight was really spend time to consider what skill sets you actually need in your data mesh implementation and when you will need them. It's okay to have more basic data products in the early days of a mesh implementation as developers learn how to work with data properly. It's okay to not have the perfect state. It's okay to evolve. It's okay to figure things out at your own pace. Extended summary for episode 109, tying data strategy and architecture to business strategy, an interview with Anitha Jagadish. In this episode, I interviewed Anitha, who's a principal enterprise architect at ServiceNow. To be clear, she was only representing her own views on the episode. Anitha has seen a lot of data and engineering practices and patterns over her long career. In some ways, right now, she is seeing many people heading down close to the same paths, just with kind of new labels that haven't worked in the past. Data Mesh tries to address a number of those historical challenges, but we should make sure to deeply understand what history has taught us so we don't need to reinvent everything or make the same mistakes. History may not specifically repeat, but it's pretty easy for it to rhyme. For Anitha, a lot of approaches people are trying in data miss the mark by not focusing on the big picture first. What is your business strategy? Your business strategy should drive your data strategy, not even just inform it. And then your data strategy should drive your data architecture. Far too many people start at the data strategy or even data architecture level. 
Anitha, like many of us, is seeing major changes in the industry with most organizations transitioning to cloud, product-centric, and or API-first approaches. Industries and organizations that have traditionally focused on defensive data strategies, you know, those that protect the data to minimize risks such as compliance, will need to get offensive to compete and drive value. Luca Paganelli's episode covered how Hera is transitioning from defensive to a balanced approach. But on the flip side, the companies that have focused much more on offensive data strategies, you know, those trying to drive as much value as possible from data with little controls in place, they really need to step up their defensive game. Companies with a balanced approach to offensive and defensive strategy are generally the most likely to win, in Anitha's view. Data contracts is one of the biggest unresolved or not well-resolved issues in data for Anitha. The way most organizations are still doing data contracts, which is often not at all, just isn't working. SLAs, you know, service-level agreements, and SLOs, service-level objectives, are crucial to driving data trust when it comes to contracts. Emily Gorsinski's episode covered data SLAs and SLOs in depth. I highly recommend that episode. There are some approaches emerging, but as there have been many episodes on this podcast covering data contracts, it's still a quite immature data practice that needs a lot of further work. When asked about how to drive good, broadly applicable choices rather than just solving for the specific use case, Anitha talked about, again, circling back to the business strategy and the business use cases. You need to not be simply reactive to requests, but look at how those requests play into the bigger picture. Architects should play a role in digging deep into use cases and requests and then finding the common patterns that support your architecture runway for teams to develop products. They need to dig in with many people across the organization and find what you really need to solve for in general across your many use cases. That way you can address a broader scope of challenge more easily rather than building to each use case. Much easier said than done, of course, and not that easily said. (laughs) Somebody who has to read it right now. Uh, Anitha made an interesting point about how your business strategy and data strategy should drive your domains. Yes, every organization or industry has a different domain map, but even when thinking about what you are trying to accomplish and how your organization tackles challenges, you should look to use that as your general approach to mapping out your domains. Is that business need slash capability? Is that application first? Is that a domain-specific compliance need, etc. Pete Hein-Stranghold talked about multiple different ways to map domains in his episode, especially in kind of how you might want to approach it getting started versus uh, when you're more mature. When asked about how organizations can think about centralization versus decentralization in data, especially regarding governance, Anitha admitted it's very hard to create rigid rules that are actually good despite how easy that might make things if if we could do it. You need to ask how you can centralize the standards and the tooling so you can support multiple use cases but not have centralized decisioning when the domains know best. Having a hybrid governance, you know, grassroots and centralized would drive better data management practices. 
you know, per me, it's definitely not a, a black and white decision. And this will be one of the hardest challenges for many organizations in the next few years. This centralization, decentralization question for so many different aspects of data, uh, especially relative to data mesh, comes up quite often. A big trend for Anitha in digital modernization is more and more vendors heading towards API first. But trying to use APIs like we have in the past, you know, how we're using them now, will not be efficient at all in many cases in the analytics space. A very large query via API could be extremely inefficient. We need to think about how we can serve analytical needs better in an API-first world. What actually is an analytical API? How can we grab 100,000 records in a single query that isn't a one-by-one pagination of the API, it still remains to be seen how we can actually do that. While many organizations would love to have a greenfield to deploy their data strategy and data initiatives, it's just not a reality for most, right? There are existing data assets in place for a lot of these, these organizations. Moving them to being actual data products is essential, but business also must go on with their current day-to-day, right? So those assets have to stay in place even as you're building them into products. And it's a difficult challenge to migrate people over to new data products if you haven't really set up that kind of migration path. A lot of people are trying to do that with, with their data mesh as well. And again, it's a difficult challenge. And data monoliths have very unclear sets of data products that are all intertwined. As an example, in the past, Anitha and her team were the victims of their own success as they built a very successful data warehouse that more and more teams moved to use. As the number of use cases and load increased, the performance decreased. We need to move to decoupled and more scalable ways of working in data to prevent success from being the path to failure and or pain, right? (laughs) You don't want success to be the root of your failure. Anitha and I discussed how important it is to build specific solutions to be fit for purpose, especially around SLAs and SLOs. On the data side, if something really needs to serve something, quote unquote, in real time, meaning measured in actual milliseconds, you wouldn't also want to allow heavy analytical queries that could slow down what what that data product is serving, which circles back to why API first is currently challenging. But you should also dig into what people mean when they say in real time, because it is often, you know, what in real time means is not on a 24 hour delay, but two hours of timeliness or or freshness as the SLA is fine. Get specific, dig into details in the why. Anitha has some specific recommendations regarding data governance as she views it as crucial to really getting data products right. She recommends creating a general center of excellence and central tooling support, but with grassroots decisioning when it makes sense. So create the standard centrally and look to empower teams, but also have that center of excellence to serve as a backdrop to be the experts on how to meet general governance needs like compliance with GDPR, CCPA, et cetera. Uh, you want your domains focusing on the value-add decisions, have the central governance team look to be an enabler. A key responsibility for all architects in Anitha's view is digging into how and where you are planning to use this data. What is the target use? And more importantly, what is the target outcome? When digging in, you can really assess not just what might be the return, but what is the cost? 
both upfront and ongoing. It's easy to think about how great it could be to have this massive set of data, but there needs to be a balanced return on investment. And time to market is also crucial. So we need to encourage collaborative negotiation around data requests instead of simply handing over requirements. In wrapping up, Anitha circled back on the concepts of architects and other roles too, really asking probing questions on specific use cases while keeping the big picture in mind at all time. Ask if this work supports the big picture, the business strategy. If it doesn't, or if there isn't a clear tie to the business strategy, is the work worth doing? Really think about that, ask that question. 